Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Johnji. Johnji is a local to Boston running apparel company dedicated to exploring, connecting, and giving back through running. Inspired by travel, informed by function, and built for adventure, Johnji makes running essentials to equip you wherever you run or roam. The company was founded on the core belief that water is a human right and donates 2% of their sales to supporting clean water organizations around the world. I've known the two co-founders of Johnji for over five years, and it's been a privilege to see them grow and increase the level at which they've been able to give back to the running community and to the world in general. Welcome back. I have Zoe Rome joining me on the podcast today. Zoe, thanks for taking some time to chat. So excited to be here. I've been a longtime listener, so this is really exciting. <laughs> you could say long time, first time, as I used to hear on talk. <laughs> I was going to say first time caller, but <laughs> first time caller, long time listener. Exactly. Um, well, cool. Before we dive too much into uh, nerding out on audio quality and, and, uh, public radio and all that good stuff. Um, can you tell us who is Zoe? Yeah. Well, oh man, such a, I'm so used to like trying to answer this in the most professional way possible. So go on, you know, that's a pretty good diving off point. Um, Zoe Rome is the associate editor at trail runner magazine, the host and producer of the DNF podcast and an enthusiastic trail runner herself. It's almost like you've said that all before together. <laughs> it's almost like it's rehearsed. <laughs> Amazing. So you host a podcast that I find um, terribly inspiring. Terribly inspiring. That's a weird way to put it. Um, very inspiring called DNF, uh, which we many of us know as did not finish. And in your words, can you tell us what what is the DNF podcast about? Yeah, the DNF podcast is an exploration of failure in both life and running through a lens that shows that failure is an essential stepping stone towards success. My basic project with it was that like I was uncomfortable with how culturally we discuss failure because I am a failure enthusiast and I felt like there was so much pressure to just ignore the integral role that failure plays in all the good things that anyone has ever done, essentially, like anyone who's ever done something creatively, athletically, professionally, personally, that has ended up well, has done it on like a giant, like just a, a ladder of failures, right? You just have to accumulate enough failure that you eventually succeed. And I just thought that, you know, there wasn't a podcast that looked at that particularly through the lens of of sport, which like, you know, even more than like professionally or personally, I love exploring how just failing and messing up makes us better athletes. I know that as like a creator, my career is entirely built on failures. Personally, I get the most growth out of the times I've messed up and have just learned to be resilient and move on. And I wanted a podcast that not only like mentioned it, but just really focused on it and used failure as like the you know, kind of the mechanism, the lens of like how we get to success rather than just like a small part of it. 
Yeah, it's it's so critical. And, and I've said before that if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. And exactly. I think that it's such a, as you said, an integral part of anyone's success story, but it's rarely told. Uh, and we never we never hear about you know all of the steps that it takes to reach the top. We just hear about the top. Yeah, and I just you know I mean it just it just felt like you're leaving out so many of the good parts of like anyone's story, right? Like everyone I look up to has had massive failures professionally and personally, and just having a space that explores that in a way that's non-judgmental and can be like really fun and make failure seem just a little bit less scary and just highlights that it is an essential part of, of success. And like, I totally agree. If you're not failing, then like swing bigger, dream bigger, because it's, it's just, it's an absolutely essential part of achieving anything worthwhile. Totally. So when you first came up with the idea, uh, was the next step pitching it to trail runner? Yeah, it was actually a little bit harder <laughs> or maybe uh, as hard as it sounds because I was like, hear me out. What if we had a podcast that was about failure? And, you know, initially the people I was working with were maybe concerned that we would have a hard time finding sponsors that would be excited to support a podcast that's all about failure, right? Because that's something that, I mean, you know, even athletes, like we're a lot, it's a lot easier to talk about the things that you've done well or that you've succeeded in than it is to like, own your failure and to brag about your failure. And, you know, we were initially, I'm, I'm lucky in that I've had amazing creative support at Trail Runner and the amazing support of sponsors like Hoka to really get this um, podcast off the ground. But people were <laughs> initially a little bit skeptical, like, are you sure? Like, you know, what if we, um, one of the initial ideas uh, floated by Trail Runner was to call it the Victory Podcast. And I was super skeptical of that because I was like, well, it's, it's really not about victory, right? Like we're going to spend 90% of the airtime talking about failure and talking about things that are hard and making it clear that victory is not the end all be all of like the human experience, right? Like if you, if victory or success is like the thing that you measure your self worth or like your happiness or your fulfillment by, then you're going to have a really hard time. And so I wanted to call it DNF because I feel like that inhabits kind of an ambiguous space of like, you know, you can you can DNF a race and you can DNF a career and you can DNF a relationship and just having the language to talk about, um, you know, just like to really own those failures and to look at like how we can use trail running where failure is a bit lower stakes than it is in a marriage or in a career or in these like kind of harder things and just apply that same resilience that we learn from trail and ultra running to being humans. Totally. I had somebody on the podcast recently, her name is KK Fisher, and she was training for Moab 240. And she and I, I was like, okay, talk to me about, you know, a 240 mile race. Talk to me about the headspace you need to be in. Talk to me about the, the, um, the training that leads up to even like being courageous enough to start it, let alone like get into the middle miles and finish it. And she said almost exactly what you said, but essentially just like applied action to it. And what she said was, running is my sandbox that allows me to explore and, and try things out in, in a very low risk environment, right? Like if you screw up in trail running or ultra running, you're not going to, you're probably not going to hurt your relationships or your health, maybe, <laughs> but... <laughs> But if you if you 
if you learn from this little sandbox and you learn uh, courage and bravery and the ability to take chances and believe in yourself and whatnot, that's applied to anywhere else in life. And we both share the same uh, philosophy and coach, um, David Roche, who uses the line, shoot your shot. And I've found that the ability to try and fail in the running arena has led to like, a, I don't want to say like a laissez-faire attitude, but like a, who fucking cares? Like if I, if I do this and it doesn't work, whatever, like on to the next one. But if it works, great. That's my goal. Um, and so I think it's, I think it's so fascinating when, when you can consciously choose to do hard things to explore what happens next. Right. And it's like, it's essentially like you have a failure muscle, right? And for me, it's a lot easier to flex that muscle athletically because the stakes are pretty low, right? Like if I go out and like I have DNF to race, absolutely nothing happened. Everyone loved me the same amount and my life stayed amazing and wonderful. So can I flex that same muscle in parts of life where there are like real stakes, right? Like, can I do it in my career and in my relationships? And can I swing big and take chances on, you know, a podcast that maybe people are skeptical of because we're uncomfortable talking about failure? Can I put myself out there in my career in a way that's going to make a difference um, while knowing that like there's real potential for failure because parts of myself are like what I'm doing is super authentic and real and that that opens me up to a lot of really real criticism in ways that like, you know, concealing myself wouldn't. And, you know, I just think you have to like practice getting used to failure, right? Like, you know, on the micro level, like you and I do, you know, challenging workouts every Wednesday, right? Which gives you an amazing opportunity to go out and like try some newfangled hill routine. And there's super real potential for failure, right? And sometimes you don't fail. Sometimes you have an amazing workout, but the, you know, more used you get to like really pushing yourself, whether it's in a workout or in a race, I think the easier it is for me to do that, you know, in, in the life space, less than the athletic space and to try to, you know, take big swings in my career and to put myself out there when making friends and trying new things and pushing my career in different directions that would have totally scared me five years ago. Totally. I think that that's the, like, that's one of the biggest perks of, of running that almost nobody knows when they start running that like, that's, that's a potential outcome or that's a potential win or, or something you can gain. Right. It's just like a really low stakes way to experience, you know, on the on a smaller level, all the things that you're going to just face by being a human, like getting used to rejection, getting used to failure, getting used to working through fear, getting used to working through discomfort, getting used to owning your victory, getting used to owning your bravery and your courage. And, you know, you just it's it's like everything. You just got to practice that. And I choose to and love to practice it through running, but really hope to embody those things and other aspects of who I am as a person as well. I love it. Um, when you first started the podcast or even now when you're when you're reaching out to guests, is there any apprehension or has there been any apprehension for people to be so real and raw? Totally. Um, actually, when I was first starting, before I had started the podcast, um, 
at the trade show where I met you in Austin, I approached a professional trail runner and asked him to be on the podcast. And I described it and he was pretty much like, yeah, no, not interested. <laughs> um, and that was like really hard for me because like asking people to do things like that in person is is scary and rejection is something I'm afraid of. And I faced it like a total boss and that I was pretty proud of myself and now I think I've gone and made a product that this guy would be like super excited to be on. Um, recently, I talked with a guest who, you know, in the middle of the interview was like, man, I have not processed the trauma of this failure to the extent that I thought I have. And I'm now realizing that. And it's really hard for me. Um, I'm also sensitive to the fact that the way I typically approach people to be on the podcast is like, Hey, uh, you're someone I really look up to. What's the hardest thing you've ever been through? And can you talk about it for an hour while I record you? And that's a really hard thing to do. And I'm super sensitive to that fact. And I'm just blown away by all the amazing people uh, that I have had on the podcast who have really talked about things that are hard and things that are challenging to own. And even when, you know, on the other side, when they see that it's totally integral to their success, like sometimes failure doesn't get that much easier, even when you understand that it is why you are as awesome as you are. Like these things are super real. Those feelings are totally valid and they can just be hard to, to talk through. And I totally understand when people are reluctant to, um, to maybe own that to the extent that I feel that I feel they should, because I mean, I'm still there with like failures in my life. There are things that I'm still have a hard time being proud of, or even understanding in the way that I would like to. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And I think that that makes me feel like I'm doing a good job with opening this space up because if it was totally easy for people to talk about all the time, then that would make me feel like I'm not pushing this conversation in the direction that it needs to go. Totally. Um, I find the, the realness and rawness to be what people, what, what resonates most with people. I, I occasionally I look through my like top, um, listen to podcasts and yeah some of it makes sense with the names that are at the top of the list but what i find interesting is the fact that the people that i had these conversations with the core of the conversation was about being real and being a human it wasn't about oh you're great you ran in the olympics or oh you're awesome you you know did xyz um I think of the podcast I did with Amelia in particular, the first one that I recorded while she was wearing a um, flamingo suit in Austin, Texas. I hope you saw her that day. Um, yes, I did. That's actually the time I first met her. And it's one of my favorite memories of being a person. <laughs> yes. Um, and she sat there for an hour and talked very seriously wearing a flamingo suit. Um, but but I, I got like you know 50 messages from people after that episode and they were just like wow awesome i feel all of these things or i associate with this or that um so it's just really cool to sh to be able to share that realness and i think it it brings people a sense of like togetherness or normalcy that like everybody struggles even the people who win races and whatnot um so I, I remember listening to you on the Rambling Runner podcast, and I really enjoyed that conversation with Matt Chittum, um, where you where you talked through your relationship with a couple of your guests and like getting, I think it was getting to know Amelia through 
the podcast and um, being in Colorado and whatnot. Um, and on that episode, you talked about something that I wanted to ask about, which was the FKT that you did uh, earlier this summer. And your, your approach to um, the mountain and your approach to celebration is something that is celebrating your experience on the mountain is something that I think a lot of us can, can learn from. I was chatting with a friend recently about a race or a, an FKT report that didn't seem like the person had fun. <laughs> it's like, why, why would you do it then? Um, and so I want to I want to hear your take on first. Can you can you fill in those who may not have heard that episode um, with sort of the context that you brought to that FKT attempt? Yeah. So um, earlier this summer, I set the female FKT on Capitol Peak, which is one of Colorado's 14ers, and it's widely recognized as the most dangerous 14er. I chose to do it on my birthday, partially because, um, you know, my birthday was on a Friday and I was going to take off work anyway. And I always like to try to do a 14er on my birthday because I live in Colorado and that's what we do. And I just, I love Capitol Peak and I've always wanted to try to do it fast. And, you know, in the past like year, it started to feel possible that I could like do that one the fastest. (laughs) And, um, you know, unfortunately, the summer I I had kind of my first like real brush with serious injury and had to take some downtime from running. And then kind of I mean, it almost it felt miraculous. But hey, you know, taking time off of running is, can really do miraculous things for your body. After a couple kind of weeks off, I started to feel pretty good. And talking with our coach, David, I was like, you know, I kind of like I genuinely feel like I could go for the FKT on Capitol Peak. And David was just like, oh, heck yeah, let's do it on your birthday. And I was like, that's the best idea ever. Um, That's in two weeks, but like, great. (laughs) Um, And there was like definitely a couple days where I was initially like, I'm not like totally sure if I'm like mentally and physically there just because I'm coming back from injury. And this is like, I'm going to have to run pretty hard. And I don't, I haven't, you know, I haven't raced in a really long time because of COVID. Um, I'm not really sure like what intensity is really going to feel like or what that's going to do for me. But you know, worst case scenario, I just try to do capital peak fast. And then I'm still, you know, hopefully done by dinner and can like eat pizza with my partner. Like that was the primary goal was to not make it like a 15 hour epic. So, um, you know, luckily my partner is an amazing speedy human TJ and he kind of followed me up and down the mountain just for safety reasons. And, you know, I just kind of thought like, if I peel off the knife's edge, I at least want someone to like, you know, be there (laughs) to witness. Um, but you know, I just like, I really just wanted to have fun with it. And I love Capitol Peak because it's a mountain I feel very comfortable on because I've done it several times and I've just always felt very connected to it and to the line on it. And it's the closest 14er to my house. Um, which is great, <laughs> very convenient um, in terms of making the FKT pretty accessible. Like I, I ate breakfast and lunch at my house that day, which is awesome. And I just, I wanted it to be fun. And, you know, I, not that I like take, that I am not serious about the line because I am and I'm, I was safe and I made some very intentional choices about the safety gear I took or didn't take. And I, you know, just my approach to all things trail running is that you can't let I 
in the times of my life when I've been too serious, I'm using my own seriousness to like shield myself from vulnerability and to like hide like who I really am because I've been worried that I'm like not good enough or I'm not smart enough. And then I would paper over those insecurities with being serious. Um, I find that when I am comfortable with myself, that I am a very goofy, joyful person. And that's the approach that I try to take in the mountains because I knew that to do this thing well and to do it fast, I would have to bring Zoe, like my full self to the table. And I feel like I really did that. Like I listened to goofy music on all the running parts and I was really present during the like more technical climby sections. Um, and I just had like the best day ever. I ate a bunch of super fun food. I ate a lot of birthday cake flavored goo. And, you know, it's just like, it was a really fun time. And I listened to, um, like Shakira on most of the descent because I am at my best when I'm jamming to music that I love and having fun and feel loose and just feel fully myself out there. And I think picking a line that like kind of ignited my passion, both in terms of I love runnable trail and the trail up to the ridge is very runnable and the ridge is absolutely not runnable. So it's kind of this fun, like you run a 10 K and then you like scramble for like, a good amount of time and then you run another 10 K. And I just think that that kind of speaks to, you know, I have fun when I'm scrambling and I have fun when I'm running. Um, and it was a lot of the things that I just love. The, there, there's a lot there. (laughs) I I think that, um, your approach to understanding when you're going to have a good day is like, so understated like we i find i find that like self-awareness to be so powerful because in that moment you're like oh yeah this is this is gonna be good and like we train for that we train for those moments where you're so fully present and you're so engaged with what you're doing because you know it's going to be epic and awesome um but it takes it as you said you know lots of lots of failure to get there um i every time i have this conversation i think vividly of two races where i experienced this and it's just this like primal feeling like i'm here i'm about to explode you know like really <laughs> i was standing on the start line of a 5k in rhode island um two two years ago and it was after like a pretty long stretch of injury and it was my first race after probably two years. And I'm standing on the start line, looking around the people around me. And like my, the words that literally came out of my, my mouth were release me. <laughs> and I ran off that start line. Like there was a fire under me that I'd never experienced before. And the next time I experienced that was a marathon. I, I ran last spring and in both scenarios, I didn't care what happened next. It was like everything that was right was happening in that moment. And it was so fun. Yeah, I feel like, you know, so much of training is just like setting yourself up for like putting in the work to make sure that like if and when you have that good day, you can like really fully take advantage of it. Right. And then the other half of it is mental training so that you can fully take advantage of the fact that most of your days aren't the perfect day and you mentally need to be able 
mentally and physically need to be able to work through the like, okay, you know, it's one of those days, like, how do I react and respond to this scenario? And how do I, you know, laugh it off? <laughs> if, if this is the case, either way, right? Like, good or bad, you know, I'm, I'm not going to waste a lot of time beating myself up over, over things, because I know I've put my heart and soul out there in training. And then I'm a, I'm a champ for like, really even trying these hard things. And, you know, sometimes things go amazing on race or FKT day and sometimes and sometimes they don't. Right. But I'm not going to I'm not going to like use it as like a referendum on like, oh, yeah, can't wait to use this FKT to find out who I am as a person. Like I know who I am going into it. And I think that that's super important is like I'm not necessarily like questing to find out um, who I am or like what I'm worth. I'm like, all right, let's like put myself through some really fun, cool, new, interesting scenarios and see um, if I can respond with love and compassion when things get tough, because they always do. Yeah, and and it's a celebration versus a test, and I think that's the core of what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I always think of those big events, like big races or FKTs as just like, I love training. I would be very happy just training like all the time, but I think it's super important to have like, kind of more specific and intentional outlets where I'm really setting aside time just to be like, man, I've worked so hard and I've like grown so much and I'm going to do something about it. And I'm going to like do it in a way that, you know, like forces myself to look at, at the, at the distance I've covered. And I always, I always, I always like framing those things as celebrations. Like they should be fun. They should be really joyful, but they're not going to change anything about who, who I am as a person. Definitely. One thing that you mentioned that I wanted to um, chat more about is the imposter syndrome or the the feeling of, um, I don't know, you could say not being enough or, or whatnot. Um, imposter syndrome is something that I've, I've spoken with many athletes about, uh, particularly athletes at the top. And I find it fascinating that Olympians, people who have train their whole life to to achieve like the pinnacle of of sport they feel the same thing the same imposter syndrome that um new runners or you know everyone in between can feel so talk to me more about about that where do you what's what is what is your experience with that yeah man i'm so glad I mean, hey, I think this is a topic you've covered so well in your previous podcast, and you're totally right. Like, this is something that people at all levels, I think particularly women experience. I know, you know, I used to think that I would achieve a certain level of success or recognition where suddenly I'd be like, now that I've achieved this, I am totally convinced of my innate worth and value as both a human and runner. Um, the older I get and the more experience I have, the more I realize like, oh yeah, like that's a totally arbitrary threshold that I will never achieve because the problem isn't about like that external, you know, validation of my worth as a person or athlete. It's about recognizing those things in myself and being convicted of them in a way that is apparent to others. And, you know, especially I feel like this comes up in my journalism is that I will really struggle with like owning my success or talent or passion or interests. Like, I mean, there've been times when I've like introduced myself as like a journalist, but not an athlete. Um, or like I've had a hard time owning my athleticism. Then I've had people around me bring up like, wait, you've like won races or like you own FKTs. Like this is obviously something that you should, you should claim. Um, 
Oh man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's funny, your phone rang at the exact same time that mine did. Like the oh, perfect. The exact same time. <laughs> um, I was like, sorry, I'm at my folks' house and uh, I don't know how their phone works, but they own a landline, which kind of feels like being in the Smithsonian at this point. Well, it's uh it's funny. I I was planning on um watching Borat and pretending it's two thousand six later, so Perhaps this is uh, just another piece of that. Yeah, <laughs> That's- I'll call you from my landline while we watch Borat together. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but I mean, to double back on the imposter syndrome, it's something that I've struggled with in every single aspect of my career. And I just have to, you know, fight the things I feel with like evidence to the contrary and, be like, look, you are a journalist. It is literally your job. Like, don't feel shame about claiming what you do in that space or who you are as a person. Um, don't feel, you know, it's so hard. Like, I still really struggle to identify myself as an athlete just because, like, I I mean, I was cut from my high school cross-country team. So I've, like, not had a lot, like, had a strong track record of being recognized by others as an athlete. But I've kind of like known the whole time that like maybe if I tried hard could like be a runner. And it's, you know, it's hard. Like those messages we get when we're young, they like sink in super deep and it can take a lot of dismantling to undo that. And for me, the the most effective thing I've found to combat insecurity or imposter syndrome in either my writing, my podcasting or my running is like when I'm actually doing it, when I'm immersed in the work when I'm like in a project I care about, like that's when I feel 100% myself and like convicted of my abilities is like when I'm executing on it, right? Like when I'm out training, I never doubt myself as a runner. When I'm actually writing, I feel that I am a writer in a way that like can't be written, can't be written off or excused as anything else. When I'm podcasting, I don't feel insecure about my ability as a storyteller or audio producer. And I think it's just really sinking my teeth into specific projects, into specific workouts or FKTs and focusing on the work rather than like outcomes or how other people perceive of what I'm doing. And I don't know. It's hard. I almost feel like if, you know, ever just imposter syndrome is so prevalent <laughs> at the top, you know, like I don't know, I don't have a a close running friend that hasn't felt that to an extent and I just kind of feel like that's like just part of the deal. I don't know why the human brain does it, but the best tool I've I've found to combat it is just to really sink into the work. Yeah, I think there's no um there's nothing like just doing and and sometimes you just you just have to start and get going. Um, yeah. And and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, movement creates movement, or energy creates energy. And and as something builds, it builds. Like inertia. Inertia. That's what I was looking for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I think that's that's super true, and and I feel it sometimes too. It's it's um, it's wild, and and again to hear people sharing that experience, I guess, makes it more attainable or, or um, understandable, I guess, that like this is just part of the human existence. Right. Like the worst thing about some feelings is that they try to convince you that you're alone in them, right? Like, you know, loneliness just 
makes everything we feel way more acute, but knowing that like, oh, like the more I can talk about my own imposter syndrome and I hear from other creators and athletes that I look up to that feel those same things. And the more I hear from them, like, yeah, this is, you know, something I also struggle with, the easier it is for me to understand how that um, comes to play in my own career and life and just makes it feel way better when you know you're not alone in it. Definitely. Thanks again to Johnji for sponsoring the podcast. I've enjoyed seeing Johnji grow over the years, and their gear has only gotten better as time has gone on. I have a few pairs of both the AFO split and AFO middle shorts and highly recommend them. Their singlets are super cool too. You can take 15% off all month with the code FTLR15. I hope you love them as much as I do. And now back to our conversation. So talking about, about failure um, in your own experience. So you talked to a lot of other people about a DNF or, or something that didn't go well as, as well as they would have liked. Talking about something where you, f- you experienced it, an objective failure, but learned from it. Yeah, I mean, man, it's something that's like, you know, I make my living off of talking to other people about their failure, but it's still like such a hard thing to put into practice in my own life. Um, I mean, you know, I've walked away from jobs that I had mixed feelings about leaving. Um, you know, recently during the pandemic, my partner and I rescued a dog that we had to um, eventually rehome. And that was really hard for me because I felt like I had failed as like a dog person and a dog lover uh, to an extent, though, you know, now I've moved towards a place of like recognizing that I did what was best for, um, you know, our, the dog that we had adopted so that he could live in a place where just ultimately he would be, he would be happier and would be safer just because he had aggression. And my biggest fear was that he would like hurt someone. And then that would lead to a lack of safety for him. But like, I, man, I still even struggle to like talk about that in a way that's not euphemistic or that's like authentic to how I feel, which is that I feel like I failed. Like, did I try hard enough? Did I do everything I could? Am I like a bad person? Cause I couldn't just fix this dog or like, you know, what was it about me that made it not work out? And that just, you know, ignores the fact that there's, you know, there's a lot at play there, but my brain is just so likely to go to this place of like, something didn't work out. It's because you're not good enough. You're not enough. You didn't try hard enough, you know, X, Y, Z reason when that's, you know, just not how that's, you know, a pretty unnuanced view of how things work and how things play out. Yeah. And, and another piece that you referenced there, uh, the, the phrase you are enough, we, sh- we also share and say often. Um, I've, I've asked a handful of people what, what it actually means to them. And so I'm curious for you, what, what does it mean for you to say I am enough? Yeah, for me, it's no matter what I get done in a day or what I achieve ever, I am like worthy of love and affection from myself and others. And I have to remind myself of that. I actually have it written on my mirror because it's something that's like a really, it's a tough thing, right? Like I can, you know, talk about it all day long, but like truly living out my life in a way that embodies perpetually believing in my worth as a person is like a totally different thing. Like I know I would be a pretty radically different human if I was 100% convicted of that all the time. Like it's a thing that I like intellectually know to be true that I am a human and worthy of love, but 
man, it's like the project of a lifetime to get to like actually embodying that in a way that feels like authentic to who I am. And, you know, I just think it means that like once I can, you know, I, it's something that I really believe about other people and it's, you know, just kind of the product of my lifetime to extend that same love and acceptance to myself. I love that. And so how does that translate into the athletes that you coach? Yeah, I think it's like, you know, I think it's something that, like I said, like I, I'm a pretty empathetic person and I have, you know, I love like I'm such a people person. I love talking with people. I love being with people. I love learning about people. I love working with people. And I feel like I'm pretty good at meeting people where they're at and listening and empathizing. Um, But what I think like the biggest way that I feel like that translates to how I work with athletes is helping them take better care of themselves and be kinder to themselves, right? Like, you know, I have so many athletes that are just kicking butt in life and running and they're like ICU nurses and parents and teachers. And they're just, they're basically superheroes. And even though, you know, they're exactly the person that you would like want to have as your emergency contact, they're the person that you call when you're in trouble. A lot of times they, like me, struggle to extend that own empathy and that own support to themselves. And so I just really try to push them to know that like, I'm a person who's motivated by loving other people better and more effectively if I can leverage that same thing for them, right? Like clearly you love other humans and you're very good at it. Like we've got to figure out how to make that go both ways in your life so that you can continue to love these people more effectively. Because I truly believe if you don't truly love yourself, you're always going to reserve judgment for others. You're going to fail to fully empathize with others in the way that they really need. So a huge part of learning to support and love others unconditionally is just doing that for ourselves. Totally. I think that it's, it's so it's easier to give guidance than, you know, do it ourselves sometimes. Oh, totally. Right. Like I tell people to love themselves unconditionally every single day. And yet it's, you know, like I said, project of a lifetime to do that in my own, in my own life. Definitely. Um, Talk to me about balance, switching gears a little bit. Balance is something that I like to ask um, high performing individuals and understand their relationship with it. I think that some people believe it can exist and others don't believe that it's worth um, aspiring for or, or striving for. Um, so I'm curious, what's, what's your relationship with balance? Man, I have a tough relationship with balance. Just, (laughs) I'm a super, you know, I'm like you, I'm a super passionate person that likes to be involved in a lot of things, right? Like I podcast and I'm an editor and I'm a trail runner and I'm a coach and I'm a partner and a sister and a daughter and a friend and an amateur vegan chef and just like all these things that take up a lot of time and mean a whole awful lot to me. And, you know, like I really struggle at pumping the brakes (laughs) on my own passion. Um, And like, I struggle with burnout in areas of my life. And I would like to struggle with that less because, I really feel like to get super good at things, you just have to keep doing them at a lower intensity for a very long time. Um, But I also, one thing that I like about myself is that I'm like very all in on the things I'm all in on. And I want, (laughs) I want to like bend the laws of physics so that I can be like 
super passionate and give my full self to 10 things all the time and never burn out. Um, like balance isn't exactly what I want, but I recognize that to like really achieve the things I want to achieve and to like support people in the way that they deserve to be supported and to love myself unconditionally that I feel like balance is a part of that. I'm, I'm not doing an amazing job at it lately though. Like particularly during the pandemic when, you know, like space between work and home and like passion and play get very, get very blurry. It's, it's, I have a hard time holding myself back and I really depend on my, my partner to always be the voice of reason and be like, all right, you know, it's like time for phones to be turned off. It's time to stop responding to work emails and it's time to just, to just be present. And, you know, even though I'm not totally sure if balance exists in my life or if that's exactly what I'm looking for, I am looking for ways to make my passion more sustainable and more um, effective and supportable for myself and the people I'm around. I love that so much. I think that it it is, I mean, I was <laughs> I was kind of expecting your answer to be pretty similar to my experience. Um, but it's, it seems like it's identical. I, I also struggle with the, like turning it off and not taking on too many projects and whatnot. And particularly within this last week, I just like, I overdid it. And, and I've reached this point where I was like, if I keep going at this, at this speed and intensity in five different arenas, uh, with no, with no break, you know, that's it. Like that's the, that's burning the candle too far. And so I just like, I, I, I hit a wall and I didn't produce a podcast in the last week and I almost didn't write my newsletter. And, um, I just sat on the couch and watched TV instead of like working until 8 PM. And I think that, um, yeah, the pandemic has made it difficult because it blurs the line of, okay, you shut your computer, you go home or you shut your computer and you know, the people aren't expecting answers or um, whatnot. And there's just like, there's not as much to do outside of working and running and whatever. Like I'm single, I live by myself and there's, I have no barriers and there is no one to tell me, Hey, it's time for dinner. Hey, it's time you know to go to bed. Hey, it's time for this. And so it's like putting up those, those guardrails. It's so necessary now more than ever before. Yeah. And I guess just to kind of speak to your, you know, I feel like another thing we have in common is like you generate this amazing podcast, which means a lot to a lot of people. And I know that you feel that, right? Like there's got to be some pressure associated with wanting to put out that newsletter and wanting to put out that podcast. And I guess the thing I would want to say to you and all the people in my life who I know work super hard to support me and to make the world a better place for me by making art or podcasts or by like being my coach or partner or whatever is I want to want them to know that like, you know, that they do a great job taking care of me and I want them to take care of themselves too. Um, that's something I'm trying to tell myself. <laughs> so it's easier to tell you and it's easier to like <laughs> tell, you know, our coach David or my partner, but it's, you know, I, you know, I guess I just have to say it to other people and then eventually I will believe it myself. Yeah. It's like muscle memory. You say it enough times you start to believe it. <laughs> yeah. Like you Not take care of you. I'll be here for you. <laughs> exactly. Well, I appreciate that. Um, another question I like to ask is, um, what do you wish people knew about you? Mm. Uh, 
I'm, uh, I'm like, I, I was on, I played competitive quiz bowl in high school, uh, you know, not on the cut from cross country, but I did do competitive quiz bowl. And as a consequence, I'm pretty great at bar trivia. That is a great skill. Again, not in 2020, but in yeah. general. <laughs> I know I've almost ordered Trivial Pursuit like 10 times, but it's not really a two person game. <laughs> uh, there, there are plenty of apps that you can uh, you can play these games on. I, I, I know I'm I'm I feel like I'm always looking for analog op- options. Though. I'm like, man, if I spend another minute on my phone per day, my brain's just going to fall good, out of my ear. That is a good point. Um well, awesome. This has been this has been fun. I think we could go for you know many hours, and I look forward to the the next time we can meet up in person and yeah, was in in Austin, Texas, or somewhere, run yeah. up a mountain somewhere. Uh, but in the meantime, where can people first? Where can people fa- find the uh, the podcast? Yeah, so um, we are on pretty much every podcast app and you can just find it. If you search DNF, um, it's published by trail runner magazine. We're on, like I said, every, every major streaming platform as well as at trailrunnermag.com. Awesome. And where can we find Zoe? You can find me at, um, Zoe H Rome on Twitter or at carrot underscore flowers underscore Z on Instagram. Awesome. And I, and my, my last question is tell me about that Instagram handle. Wow. Um, this is such a fun story. (laughs) I moved to Boulder, bought an edible and listened to my favorite album by neutral milk hotel and had the weed induced epiphany that I was the queen of carrot flowers. And I was like, I've just got to change my Instagram handle. And so I did. And, um, I'm not, I'm not super, I'm not a, big weed fan but i just thought that that was such an endearing experience <laughs> that i've just kept it that's <laughs> so incredible. i thought it was kind of funny it's like an inside joke with myself <laughs> that <laughs> i got like super into listening to 90s alternative music and like washing hyper like being hyper focused and washing dishes for like a full evening and was just like i'm really f- this album is really landing for me in a way that it hasn't before <laughs> um, and I'm going to wash dishes for two hours straight and just listen to it over and over. <laughs> Incredible. Well, to pair that with um, the same uh, the same woman we talked about earlier on KK's podcast, she gave um, she her her um, skill was that she's really good at packing a dishwasher. So maybe give that <laughs> one else and then have the edible. KK's <laughs> so amazing. Um, my partner is her coach, and she's just like such an incredible human. I'm so glad that you got to talk to her. She, yeah, that was, that was, that was fun. Well, awesome. Uh, I hope you have fun watching, uh, wash, put loading your dishwasher and, and enjoying carrots. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jonathan. It's so great to talk to you. And I hope we get to hang out in person, um, safely one of these days. Yes, please. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on for the long run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.